I'm Ed Stetzer, interim teaching pastor here at Moody Church. We're actually uh, returning to a series that we have been in uh, up until the end of last year. Then, of course, we moved into the Christmas season and had some messages and themes in and around the Christmas time, and, and now we're back to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. For those of you who are, are perhaps new or joining us for the first time, or the tenth time for that matter, you can, as always, find these at moodychurch.org and be able to follow along with us throughout the entirety of the series. As a matter of fact, in this case, it might be helpful for you to follow along the entirety of the series because much of this builds on what was before. At this time, uh, our ushers are going to come and uh, collect the uh, surveys, I believe. They're going to collect them if you'll pass them down to the end of the row. I think that's the case. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, well, we're going to go on from there. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is going to be our text. It's kind of where we left off. We're going to talk about laws today. We're going to talk about laws today. Ushers are coming, and so if you just pass those down the end of the aisle, you can uh, grab those. We're going to talk about laws today because Jesus talks about the law here. Now, we think about laws, we think, of, you know, there are a lot of silly laws that are actually out there. For example, let me tell you about some Chicago laws, right? Uh, some current, some in the past. In Chicago, it's illegal to eat in a place that is on fire. You actually have to leave. That's a law. I'm thankful they made that a law. Uh, it's actually illegal in Chicago to give a dog whiskey. Uh, helpful to know. It's forbidden to fish while sitting on the neck of a giraffe in Chicago. Um, I don't know where these laws come from. Um, kites actually, at one point, were not allowed to be flown within the city limits of Chicago. Kites were illegal here. Still to this day, in the Pullman area, it's illegal to drink beer out of a bucket while sitting on a curb, which just seems like a general rule of life anyway. In Cicero, humming on public streets is prohibited on Sundays. The rest of the day, it appears you can hum. Hmm. In Joliet, it's actually illegal to mispronounce the name of the city. It's actually punished. It's a misdemeanor, publishable, punishable by a $5 fine. So keep that in mind if you live in Juliet. <laughs> in Evanston, bowling is against the law. Uh, in Galesburg, no person, these are Illinois law, no person can keep a smelly dog, which is helpful. Um, and in Zion, it's actually illegal for anyone to give lighted cigars to dogs, cats, or any other domesticated animals. So you got to appreciate laws that make a lot of sense. Those are, now, some of those laws have actually been discarded, but you can find this list just as I did anywhere online, so I can't really validate for every single one of them. I did uh, Google a few of them, and now it is legal to fly kites in Chicago. So the, someone repealed that law years ago. But laws often need to be discarded. And here what we find in this passage, though, is Jesus doesn't discard the law, and we're going to look at that. He actually fulfills it. And, and matter of fact, many people see sort of the Old Testament as a collection of laws, not unlike those we just heard, right? And, and, and they kind of see them as things to be discarded now that Jesus has come, but that's actually not what Jesus says. So let's look, as we talk today about a higher standard, fulfilling the law through greater righteousness, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, and we're going to go all the way to verse 20, and then we'll walk through the text. It says this. It says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot, will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be like the least, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter 
the kingdom of heaven. Here in this passage, I don't want to give away too much yet, but this is sort of a, uh, a key passage in the totality uh, here of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we've been working through, just a few months ago, the Beatitudes, and we said blessed are or flourishing are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In December, I actually uh, concluded back in December with Jesus' words on being salt and light and, 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 and how a shining light and how that matters. Well, this passage here in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, in a lot of ways is the whole thesis. It's kind of a, a central message in the Sermon on the Mount. And I get excited about this. I'm actually super excited about this passage. Now, that may surprise you that I'd be excited about something that says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. But when you get what's going on here, it's really quite remarkable, and I get excited about it. I want you to be excited as well. This is one of the key moments in all of the gospel. Matter of fact, uh, this passage helps us understand key things throughout the entire Bible. Uh, what's the relationship of Christianity, for example, to, uh, to Judaism and to Israel? How does, how does the old covenant relate to the new covenant and more? And, and how people answer those questions actually is one of the reasons we have different denominations. Sometimes it's, uh, it, it, there's all kinds of things that are just in this passage right here. Now, I'm just going to preach this passage, right? I, I'm going to focus on what Jesus focused on and mention a few things that maybe we all understand, but, but I want you to, to, to relax a little bit through and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Well, there's a lot of whatabouts we could cover here. Let's just focus on what Jesus said because in it is so powerful and reckless. You see, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in light of the new life He gives. And in the Sermon on the Mount, He's giving us what this life would look like lived as a new citizen of the kingdom. Jesus teaches us what kingdom citizens look like, and we look to Him for the new life that comes in Him, and now we walk according to a new law of love. Jesus fulfills, right here He says, the Old Testament, now we live in light of the new life He gives. So we're going to look at several things as we go through the text today, and we're going to start with the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the law. It's here in verse 17. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down. It says this, do not think, uh, Jesus is speaking here, remember we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, you may notice I said law because the rest of the verse, the rest of the passage talks about the law, but he says here, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this is a key theme. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in light of the new life He gives. And, and, and if, I don't know about you, but I, 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 am, I, am a, I am blind as a bat in one eye. And I can't see well. I can't see. Um, and, and so I go to the eye doctor. And I just recently went to the eye doctor here in, uh, for the first time. I, I don't like going to the eye doctor because, uh, because I, I, there's always bad news. And since that's you know, why you don't go to a doctor, you want to avoid bad news. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. But I needed new glasses. So I, I did what I should have done and you should do is I went to the eye doctor. And the eye doctor will, will come and they'll put a, uh, a big machine in front of you with little, little kind of eye holes in it. And they'll, they'll say, is this better? Or is this worse? Is this better? Or is this worse? And I'm convinced that half the time they're just sort of punking you. I mean, it's like it's the same thing, better, worse. You're like, oh, it's way better the second time. And they're like, no, it's not. Um, but, 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 you know, you get there and you get blurry and clearer. But if they do it right, right, and I can think of my, my, uh, my last eye doctor, she would, she would uh, kind of switch lenses, switch lenses, and get closer and closer. And I could see 
more clearly each time, and I could, I could read more letters as it went on. Now, in a sense, this passage is this kind of moment for us, right? We're going to investigate this morning that Jesus talks about the value of the law and the prophets and kind of expects that we would see, he would expect that we would see more clearly right in the middle here of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, elsewhere he says it more distinctly. In Luke 24, beginning at verse 25, Jesus says, And he said to them, O foolish ones, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he had interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So here, Jesus is telling us that you're going to see more clearly, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. I, I, I came, and again, I don't think that at this point they probably thought that. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, you may be thinking this. I think what he's saying is before you start to think this, let me tell you instead. Because it doesn't take long after Jesus' death and resurrection that these kinds of things begin to happen. Matter of fact, even as soon as Paul's writings, uh, some accused them of tossing out the law because they didn't believe it applied to them, but, but that's not Jesus' context, right? Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's, a, he's, among other things, he's a Jewish man. He's, he's followed the law perfectly, and he tells us in this verse what he came not to abolish but to fulfill, and you have to ask, fulfill what? Now, it says specifically he came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. And what does that mean? Well, actually, typically, uh, a lot of times we talk about the Old Testament in three groups, right? The law, the prophets, and the historical writings. The first group is uh, like the Decalogue and, and the beginning and, and, and more there. And then the second group is the major and minor prophets. I won't go into too much detail. The third group are, are books like Psalms and, and, and others. And, but Jesus is saying the same thing. He's only using two groups, the law and the prophets. So in other words, Jesus means our Old Testament. And that's why I'm just using that language. I'm saying Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in light of the new life He gives. But the challenge is when we hear law, maybe sometimes we, we hear words like law, we think of it sort of as a collection of books, Genesis through Malachi. And, and while it's, it's, it is a collection, it's so much more than that. It's actually, it's actually a story. It's, it's, it's one story, specifically a covenant and a series of covenant expressions between Creator God and His rebellious creation. And so the law shows Israel how to, be, how to be faithful as God's people. The prophets show God continually calling His people back to Him uh, and describe His plan. And, and so, so Jesus, don't, Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish God's covenant with Israel and all of creation. No, 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 I've not come to dismantle it. I've come to fulfill it. I'm here to fulfill this. And He does so in Himself. This is why this is so amazing. Matthew's been showing us this all along, right? Now, I know it was like a whole year ago that we were in Matthew, but you probably remember a lot of the broad shape and the outline. Now, now Matthew's been showing us this all along. Matthew's written to the people of Israel, and he's showing us how Jesus fulfills this in himself. Now, it doesn't mean he's done with Israel. Remember, there are still promises in the Abrahamic covenant to fulfill and more. But, but you can't miss what Matthew's saying about Jesus, and, and it's, it's, it's hiding sort of, I mean, it's not hiding, it's like in plain sight, right? I mean, you could see this, any Bible commentary would point this out, but let's look back, right? Let's just review, because it's been a while since we were in Matthew, but let's start at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. 
In Matthew 1.1, it's biblos, you know, it starts with uh, the book, and, and then it uses the word that's from our word Genesis, or the beginning of Jesus Christ. So in Matthew 1.1, Matthew uses words like the Old Testament starts with, right? It's, here's a Genesis, a new Genesis, and a, and a new Exodus. And, and we begin to get a picture that Matthew is pointing us and reminding us about how Jesus is now fulfilling the, the, the truths and the story of the Old Testament, right? Because he's now the new Genesis, but he's the new Exodus. He goes to Egypt. And, and remember Exodus 1, Moses hides, uh, uh, mother's, Moses' mother hides him in a basket in Egypt. Jesus' mother hides Jesus in Egypt. And Matthew's like, look, don't, don't miss this. And, and this is why I like preaching through a book, by the way. You get the bigger themes, right? Then he comes out of Egypt. Actually, Matthew actually says, quotes uh, Hosea and says, out of Egypt I've called my son, which in Hosea is referring to Israel. But Matthew's like, look, Jesus, look at Jesus. So he comes out of Egypt. Right? How obvious can Matthew be? It's not a secret code. Then he comes to the Jordan, and Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. By the way, just as the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, uh, the Red Sea waters, actually, 1 Corinthians says they were baptized. And, and then the people of Israel, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, after his baptism, goes for 40 days and fasts in the wilderness. And at the end of it, he's tempted. Jesus is identifying with Israel. Matthew is literally arranging the material to show Jesus' connection to Israel throughout the Old Testament. Then he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Then he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Matthew drops the mic. Because this is the whole thing. I mean, this is why it's so beautiful to walk through a book of the Bible. Matthew's saying, look, Jesus identifying with Israel, fulfilling the Old Testament. He's literally arranging the material to show Jesus' connection to Israel. Then Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I didn't come to abolish that, but to fulfill that. Now, these words are key. The word abolish is key. He says he didn't come to abolish. It literally means to, uh, with reference to a building, to dismantle or destroy it. Right? Consider a, a child playing with uh, Legos and just knocks it all down. You have to dismantle it Lego by Lego. That's what it means to destroy or abolish. Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus emphatically denies that he comes to do that. And, and what happens is a lot of people sort of try to get Jesus to do that. They kind of make these like opposites. You've got Moses and Jesus. And you've got Moses, the lawgiver, and, and Jesus is the opposite. And it's actually not. So, right, Jesus is a true and better Moses. And so what Jesus is is the fulfillment. Jesus testifies he comes to fulfill the law and the prophets. And sometimes we misunderstand it because of the context. What does it mean to fulfill? Uh, some think of it's like filling a glass. Uh, the law and the prophets were lacking something, and the glass was maybe uh, half empty in the Old Testament. So Jesus came to fill up the glass to the top. And, and, and I can get why some might say that, but I think it's more than that. Others think it means to keep. Jesus isn't uh, talking about here keeping the law because actually the scribes and Pharisees kept the law. His point was it was something more than that. But remember, when we, when we read a book of the Bible, when we read anything in the Scriptures, it's actually helpful to know how the author uses the word in other places. And Matthew has used the word fulfill uh, lots of times already here in the Gospel uh, of Matthew. 
So he's actually used it in chapter one and two. He gives a series of stories to uh, true stories about Jesus' childhood and how they relate to Old Testament prophecies, right? And, and then he would say something like uh, that this fulfills what the prophets spoke about. I remember how many times in December and November and, and October we said this fulfills what the prophet talks about. So this is something that he uses a lot. He, in Matthew 3.15, it actually says that Jesus' baptism, uh, he tells John that he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And, and now in, in, in Matthew 5.17, I, I, think, I think when he points to fulfill, it's kind of to, to bring something to finish, to bring something to completion that really started right at the back of the beginning, right at the beginning, right? From Genesis, the story, story even begins. And so, so it's not that Jesus is setting aside the law and the prophets, but instead he's pointing now to the fulfillment of them and the way forward. That's the beauty of this passage. Now, I know that this is a very theological text today, and, but I want you to stay with me because after this text in particular, the beauty of the practice of these things is going to be so evident because we're going to see a new way of life that's laid out here. That's going to be key. It's a new way of life that shows us a new path and a new direction forward. And then we get a, we get a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. Now, why does that that matter. No, so what it matters too that so the law and the prophets are still important. This is why you still have a whole Bible. If the law and the prophets weren't important anymore, we would just have the New Testament. Now I recognize some people just print out and give out New Testaments, and I'm not opposed to that. I think that's fine. I, but I do think we need to become familiar with what God has done and what He is doing uh, in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in Christ. Now, He didn't just say He came to fulfill just the law. He said He's going to fulfill the law and the prophets. But what's interesting is later in Matthew, Jesus actually has an interesting statement about, about uh, John the Baptist being the last of the prophets. He says this in Matthew eleven thirteen. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So at this point, right, so there's no, there's no more people prophesying in that way, the way that John did and the prophets of the Old Testament did. That's changed. So Jesus is the, is the next, it's the logical, it's the fulfilling step in God's salvation plan, Him coming and being born uh, of a virgin, Him living a sinless life. This is part of God's plan, right? He's bringing to completion uh, what he began and we see throughout the Old Testament, right? So, we don't want to miss it. It's, it's finishing God's plan of redemption, to fulfill God's plan uh, of redemption. Now, there are some things that matter that might be… Let me just take a little bit of an aside because some things have changed because Jesus fulfilled them. For example, um, we now… We eat foods that in the Old Testament uh, they don't eat, right? So, like on food, think in terms of food. Uh, in, in Mark 7, 18 through uh, 19, it says, and, and he said to them, these, uh, then are you without understanding? Do you, not, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters his heart, uh, it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. So, someone may come up to you and say, Ed, well, I, you know, I, I look in the Old Testament, and how do you say this is applicable today? You can't eat shellfish and, uh, and, and bacon. I mean, can you imagine a world where you can't eat bacon? I mean, how sad would that be? Um, that's one of the benefits of the new covenant is bacon. Um, 
In Acts 10, 15, it says, what God has made clean, do not call common, right? So there's a sense now that that's changed. Or sacrifices. Maybe you read in the Old Testament, you're like, well, why don't we, why don't we have sacrifices uh, like they did in the Old Testament? And here's what it says in Hebrews 9, 12. It says, Jesus entered once for all into holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. So, all those sacrifices of the Old Testament are now fulfilled, are now fulfilled. He's the, he's the acceptable and the unrepeatable sacrifice, right? So, temple sacrifice actually pointed to the fulfillment of the ultimate sacrifice, right? And actually, uh, you don't have to go to the temple anymore, right? Think about places. We've talked about food. We've talked about sacrifices. What about places? Well, now there's not a place. You know, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God. Jesus says in John 4.21 to the Samaritan woman, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. In other words, they kind of, there's, there was this division about where they would go to worship. He's like, no, it doesn't, you don't even have to do it. You can worship right now, right here. Because Jesus fulfilled that, and we don't need places anymore. Actually, we don't need priests, right? We don't need priests anymore. Think about food or sacrifices, places or priests. So the idea that there'd be some priest that would be like this mediator between me and God isn't necessary anymore. Now, through Christ, I can go directly to God. There's one mediator between God and man. And Hebrews says Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So the priesthood of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. So there's a lot of beautiful moments here in this passage I don't want us to miss. This is an incredibly important theological passage. It's not all he says, though. He says this. He also speaks about number two in our outline, the longevity of the law. Remember, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, doesn't abolish it, fulfills it. Now we live in light of the new life he gives. That's what we'll be talking about the next few weeks as we go through this series, talking about a higher standard that Jesus lays out. To look at Matthew 5, beginning at verse 18, it says this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, now again, we've learned a lot about Jesus' relationship to the law and the prophets, and he doesn't come to tear down but to fulfill, but there are still questions to consider, right? If, if Jesus comes to fulfill the law, is the law still valid? Are there still things that we need to follow? If it's going to last forever, how do we apply it today? Now, he says, for truly, truly I say to you. And actually, the, it's, it's probably well translated as a the word amen or amen, and, 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 but we've kind of think of like amen at the end of a prayer, you know, kind of like Bugs Bunny holds up the sign says the end at the end of the cartoon. So amen is like we, we end it, so it's, it's amen, but that's not the meaning in Jesus' day. It's actually a solemn, uh, reliable statement about to come. He says for truly, for amen, uh, and, and it's kind of like for us saying today, I promise the story I'm about to tell you is true. So you don't want to miss this. I promise this is true. And so when he says truly or verily in the King James Version or amen, and what this statement Jesus is making is that the law is not going away. Heaven and earth, and first he says not until heaven and earth or physical spirituality pass away. There's still the impact of the law. Now why? 
Well, because the law testifies to God's plan of redemption. They're not going anywhere. They're perfect. Jesus uses precise language to communicate their lasting value. The word we use today to describe that is in, in English is the word inerrancy, because the word is without error. It's without mistake. It's God's intent throughout the Old Testament. That's also true for the, the New Testament. He says, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law. Iota is the smallest Greek letter, and a dot is kind of a small part of that letter, like a letter I, or, or like the crossbar on the T that makes it different from the I. There's, there, the point he's making, without getting tangled up and some of the literalness specifically is that not even the tiniest part will pass away. The law remains. And what, how, does it, how, does it, how does it relate to us? Well, in a sense, it's a sign. It points to Jesus. The law and the prophets point to Jesus. So they're not going to pass away. But then he condemns anyone who says relaxing them. What does that mean? Well, the idea isn't that Jesus is, that isn't that Jesus is speaking against breaking a commandment. He knows that, that in a sense we do break the law, but there's a fundamental difference between breaking a law and relaxing a commandment. I don't want you to miss that. See, what's in view is an attitude that the law is without value, without merit, without importance. We, Jesus knows that we'll fail and We'll break the, the law, we'll break the rules, and He knows that He will forgive us. So what happens is today, though, people begin to relax them, and so even today we see that. People say, well, you know those commands about living this, they're not so important anymore. We're, we're in the modern day. We don't have to worry about those things anymore. And, or, or what about where we get to the place where we know lying's wrong, but we're just perpetually used to it, so we're lowering that, and, and in a sense, that's what, and we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes sometimes did by, by kind of redefining what the commandments actually meant. But he said, well, Ed, you already mentioned that some of the laws are, are not to be uh, followed. Well, it's, 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 see, Jesus is teaching us in His kingdom, following the rules isn't sufficient. Then we're a new law of love, right? Following the letter of the law is not good enough. It was never really good enough, but there are some ways to help us think about law today and how that continues on. Right. Let me let me let me explain. Um, and why does that why does that matter? Well, um, let, let's look at three kind of categories of law. There's ceremonial laws, there's civil laws, and there's moral laws. So ceremonial law was how. Israel would follow certain rules and sacrifices and things of that sort, right? So, so but now we don't follow the ceremonial laws. Now, again, this is not perfect, and, and, and I'm just trying to put an easy, simple handhold on this because there are nuances and scholars would debate this, but here's the thing. There are things that we don't do anymore because they were ceremonial laws that were intended to purify the people, and Jesus once for all has purified us. He has fulfilled that part. Does that make sense? And there's civil laws about how Israel would act as a nation and uh, kind of their time and place. In some ways, they would stand out by their laws. In some ways, they're like a criminal code. What happens if, an, if, an, if your ox gores a man? And, and so, so now, but, but now that in and of ourselves has, has now been fulfilled in Christ. We, we no longer have a nation like that. We don't think of the laws of the United States as perfectly guided by a holy God to set apart His people. Then there's the moral law, and the moral law actually does continue to go on for us today. How to behave, how to live. For example, the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are, are all repeated except the commandment about keeping the Sabbath. They're all repeated in some form or the other. Now, why is that the case? Because in the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is now our Sabbath, the Bible specifically says, but the moral law, so things are still right and wrong. You don't steal, you don't 
commit adultery. You don't, these, are, these are still things that are true and matter. Now, but Jesus points us to a different way, right? Remember, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now we live in light of the new life he gives, which leads to number three in our outline, the greater righteousness of the law. Now, the greater righteousness of the law speaks to, we've looked at the fulfillment of the law, longevity of the law, the greater righteousness of the law. Verse 20 puts it this way, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's ironic is the scribes and Pharisees were really pretty focused on fulfilling the law, but sometimes they were looking for ways, they were looking for maybe loopholes. We'll talk about those uh, in the days to come because the scribes were like modern-day law lawyers. Their job was to know the law inside and out and teach others to follow it. They were probably the most religious of the religious. They were the defenders of the law, yet Jesus says our righteousness needs to exceed them. Now, remember, Jesus, when he uses the word righteousness, is not using it in the same way, just as we used it. I gave the example back in November when we talk about uh, booking. Something can be a book. You book somebody when they're arrested, and you read a book. They can have one word that means some different nuances, and Jesus is using it a little different than Paul does. You know, definitely, Paul, Paul, you know, righteousness, Paul talks about right standing with God. Matthew's usage here, Jesus' usage in Matthew, means that God expects actions that are in line with God's kingdom. So it's, it's, it's more than obedience to legal rules, because the Pharisees and the scribes have that down, but Jesus says their righteousness is insufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's going on here? See, no longer can the, can the Torah, no longer can the law, no longer G, be their only God. Jesus now in the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is our guide. So what's happened is, this is so key, right? It's no longer about the law on the outside. It's about the new life on the inside. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the law of love lived on the inside. You know, it's interesting. The law of love that Jesus lays out throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that which we have in relationship with him. And we only have true righteousness through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and this key point in the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that you need to see things more clearly, that Jesus fulfills all the law and the prophets. When I was a kid, I uh, used to get cereal boxes, right? And, uh, and you remember those, right? Cereal boxes, I guess they, you know, I mean, kids still eat cereal. And, but inside there, there used to be this thing called a decoder ring. Have you ever seen, remember these things, these decoder rings? Look like a modern-day QR code, I guess we might call them, but there's kind of a hidden message inside of it. You couldn't see the message about the decoder, which was like a ring of red plastic. And you'd look at it, I was like, I was so excited because the message was there. You put the plastic over the garbled up message, the secret message would appear. Remember when we talked about going to the eye doctor and can you see more clearly? Can you see more clearly? I think that's a good analogy of Jesus and the Old Testament. Before Jesus, we had the law, but we only saw it dimly because our hearts weren't conditioned to follow it and understand it as it was intended. With Jesus, we get past some of the confusion. It comes into greater sense of, of clarity and more. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the teaching of the Old Testament. And when you see that, and there are ways that are going to be lived out that today. Now, we see the love is the motivation behind the law and the prophets. It's not above, enough to obey. We're going to live by by Jesus' law. But I want you not to miss how important this passage is. I want to show you a video. We actually use the Gospel Project here uh, at, uh, at Moody Church, and I, I'm actually the general editor of the Gospel Project. We used it before I was here as the interim. When we were creating the Gospel Project, we, we created a video 
that we wanted to talk about how this all relates to one story. You know, all throughout this, this message I've been talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all things, how, how without the, the, the decoder ring, without the ability to see, without the, without the clarity of Jesus, without this moment, we'd miss what God is doing throughout all of history. So we tried to tell this, and I, I'm, a, I'm a lover of Baroque art, and so when we put this video together, I asked our team to draw in from different art and draw this story, but point to, this is not 60, there are 66 books of the Bible. There's not 66 stories. In those 66 books, there are a thousand stories, but they're not a thousand stories. They're all one story, that the gospel story, Jesus' story, ultimately now our story, because He has fulfilled the law and the prophets. Take a moment and watch this. Every great story begins with a voice giving shape to darkness. A storyteller speaking characters into existence, and it's good. In fact, it's perfect. Enter the villain, one who wishes to change the story, to bring death to mankind, to unmake the storyteller's good world exciting incident where everything goes wrong. The villain tells the characters they can create their own story and they believe the lie. Death is sentenced and the characters are enslaved. The villain is triumphant. But all is not lost. The storyteller is not idle. He has a plan, but it will take time and sacrifice the people face extinction. Yet they are not swept away. They face death, but a substitute is given. They face captivity, and the storyteller provides their escape. Yet they remain chained by the villain. But a promise is made. A serpent is lifted high on a staff and brings healing. An unlikely king frees his people. From an ocean tomb comes a message of life, hints of a great rescuer, and then nothing. The story goes quiet. The people fear the storyteller has forgotten his promise. The rescue begins. The storyteller enters the story. He heals the sick, brings hope to the captive. He loves the unlovable. The villain plots his vengeance. He strikes and the hero's life is given for his people. His promise fulfilled. The substitute is sacrificed. The people are again free, and the hero emerges from his tomb. He gathers his people and sends them out as storytellers. More believe, their numbers grow. One story told over thousands of years. My story, your story, his story. It's so easy to 
to kind of look through it, and it's very theological, and I get it. But what I hear in this passage, and I want you to hear in this passage, is all the, all the centuries of, of waiting and all the brokenness of the world and all the law and the prophets and the teachings are now fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And then being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, he comes and he starts a new community, and then we're going to see that new community, the way it lives, described and how it's changed and how we're changed and how everything is different. So here's the picture I don't want you to miss. When Jesus says, I came not to abolish, but to fulfill, that should fill your heart with joy. Because in that one story that is the story of the Scriptures that's laid out and explained in the Gospel of Matthew, and now how to live it is going to be explained in the next few weeks, we see a new way of life and a new way of joy that changes everything. If you're here today or you're worshiping with us online, can I just encourage you to take just a moment and to thank God that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you to trust and follow him. And this is the story of the ages laid out, the one true story that changes everything the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And now, as Christians, we live in the light of the new life he gives, but you have to receive, to respond, and to trust him. The gift is laid out before you today if you'll trust and follow Jesus and receive the new life he's given us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I thank you that Jesus truly fulfills the law and the prophets. I thank you for the blinking light that Matthew was saying, look, look, look at how he is the fulfillment. Father, may we see the fulfillment of that one story changes everything. It changes us. It becomes our story as we become a part of those kingdom citizens who then live out the truths we'll hear about the next few weeks in a way of greater righteousness, not in and of ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done. So, Father, I pray that you'd burden our hearts and you'd give us great joy. you burden our hearts to know you more deeply, but great joy because of what you have done, who you are, and what you have fulfilled. Spirit of the living God, may you fall afresh on us. Would you revive us in light of the beauty of this truth? that you indeed are the fulfillment of all things. Just in the same spirit of prayer right now, would you stand to your feet with me? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand and as we worship, we pray the Spirit of the living God would indeed fall afresh on us.